Good morning. Good morning, everybody tuning in online, and good morning to our friends over at our Farmington Hills campus. I hope you guys are doing well over there today at Farmington Hills. So good uh, to be with you guys today. Uh, before we go any further into our time together, let's go before our Lord and pray this morning. Uh, Father God, we come to you in your mighty and matchless son's Jesus' name. God, we thank you for your word that you've given it to us uh, to sit under and to learn from and to grow. God, I pray that you would move me out of the way. I pray uh, that I would decrease and that you would increase and be made much of in the lives of your people. Speak to them today, Father God. Comfort them where they need to be comforted. Challenge them where they need to be challenged. They're your children. You know them. Uh, you know what they need far more than I do. God, we lift up this time to you. Uh, thank you for this opportunity to fellowship and worship and sit under your word together. It's in your mighty son's Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, tis the season for family photos. Uh, this is the time of year when people will get in front of the camera with their pajamas on or their turtlenecks or their all white or however they want to do it. And so this is the season where people will get together for those family photos and you'll likely get one of those family photos in the mail and you put it on the refrigerator somewhere next to grandma or the dog or whatever or the to-do list. And so you'll be getting those soon. So I love family photos. I want to look at a few with you if you don't mind. Let's look, let's look at a few family photos. All right. So this one's Captain and obvious. If you don't know, that's the daughter, that's the mom, that's the dad, that's the son. They just wanted us to know that. Uh, let's, let's keep going. All right. Not so Merry Christmas, but he's, hey, but he's in there. All right. Let's keep going. Tears of joy, everybody. This is tears of joy. Look real close to Santa's eye. Somebody was not so happy with Santa. All right. Let's see how, let's see there. Not so excited about that promotion, but hey, promoted to Big Brother. Um, all right, check out the Vanilla Ice t-shirt, by the way. That's super cool. <laughs> kind of creepy Easter Bunny, I don't know. I don't know about that outfit. Uh, big Brother, Little Brother, Big Brother, Little Brother. <laughs> and toddler life at its best. That's my life right now. That's my life right now. So they took the picture anyway. Sometimes you just got to take the picture. And so I love family photos. I'm sure that you love family photos as well. Uh, we have a few uh, we, that we keep around. I've been looking at lately. So we love family photos. Uh, family photos are great. Uh, but the thing about a family photo is that it doesn't always tell the full story, right? You can't look at those pictures and tell uh, what was on people's minds, what they were going through, uh, what were their struggles, what were their challenges. Sometimes we can look at the family photos and it can come across as if those times were just so much easier, those times were just so much better. I know they say a picture is worth a thousand words, but sometimes the, the photo doesn't really tell the whole story. You can tend to look back and like, man, can we just get those days back when things were great? Can we just get those days back? And sometimes uh, when we look at the scriptures, particularly the book of Acts, we can look at the book of Acts and see all of these great things that are happening, and we can be tempted uh, to believe that somehow, some way, those days were just easier than the days that we have now. Uh, God was working back then. Can we just get those days back? God doesn't quite work like that anymore. And we can tend to look at, the, look at the book of Acts as if it were a family photo. But a good companion to a family photo is a good 
Family Journal. That's what I've discovered recently. Uh, Ashley's family uh, has a collection of stories uh, that they put, put together. Her grandfather was a pastor of a church in Oklahoma, and they have, this is volume two. This thing is thick, but they also have a volume one, and they just collected these stories uh, throughout the history of that church and of Ashley's family. And you can just go back and look at these times when people were going through things that are maybe similar to things that you're going through now, and it can remind you that if God worked back then, I can trust him to work now uh, in my circumstance as well. So I've seen that a good companion to the family photo is some stories to pass down from generation to generation. And my hope for us is that we will see the book of Acts not as a family photo that we have to live up to, because sometimes that family photo can be so perfect and can be crushed under the weight of that perfection. Uh, But my hope for us is that we would see the book of Acts like a good family journal, a collection of wisdom that we can grow from and learn from, uh, from people who've all also experienced their own set of challenges, uh, people who've experienced sickness and disease and uh, issues of their day as well, and we can draw from their wisdom and their experience and uh, from the stories of God's grace in their lives, and hopefully we can be encouraged by them. One of the things about uh, the church in the book of Acts, they always prioritized prayer. They always started with prayer and they always prioritized prayer. I want to look at one of the prayers that they prayed. Uh, This is Acts 4 verses 29 through 30. And it says, now consider their threats. Uh, Those threats that they're talking about are coming from the Roman government. The Roman Empire wasn't too excited about the church. They weren't too excited about this movement. They were suspicious of this movement. Uh, They thought they were weird, right? They didn't really accept them into society. And so with uh, with this, uh, they, they found themselves under threat by the Roman government at times. And so uh, they said, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So they pray for boldness. And they said, God, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They asked for God to stretch out his hands toward them and bless them and to empower them uh, to be bold because uh, this group of people, the early church, didn't have a lot of power and social influence. There were no uh, big-time Christian celebrities uh, that could endorse the church. They didn't have political power and influence, right? They didn't have a Christian politician uh, that can back them and their values. They had to live in a world that was in many ways pre-Christian, and they had to still uh, uh, advance the kingdom of God. God had commissioned them to go and make disciples and to preach the gospel and to influence the world. So how were they going to do that without social and political power and without this influence, without uh, big names and big people coming alongside them to endorse them and to help their movement? Couldn't this little movement of, of nobodies get snuffed out if they didn't have that kind of power and that kind of support? I want to share a story from, from history, church history, this is factual, of, of how the early church changed the world. The early church changed the world without social and political power. Uh, in the Roman Empire, there was something called exposure. 
And exposure was this. Uh, it was when a family would take their baby that they no longer desired to a trash dump and they would leave their child there exposed to the elements and more, more than likely that child would die. This was widely practiced in the Roman Empire. This was the law of the land. It wasn't looked down upon. Here's the thing we have to realize. This whole idea that people are made in the image of God and that lives have value, uh, those, uh, th that truth and that reality was not widespread in the Western world. That is not how people thought about life back then. And so exposure was perfectly normal if you didn't want the child, if it caused some kind of disadvantage to you, an individual would take their child, put them in the, uh, in the heap with the other kids, and that was called exposure. Very common that day. No one would bat an eye. No one looked down on it. Uh, here's, a, here's a letter from a young family uh, who was thinking about making that decision. This is an actual letter uh, from the, the Roman Empire. It says, I am still in Alexandria. I beg and plead with you to take care of our little child. As soon as we receive wages, I will send them to you. In the meantime, if good fortune to you, you give birth, if it's a boy, let's let it live. If it's a girl, expose it. This is just the way it went in the Roman Empire. Uh, people being made of the image of God, all of that, people didn't believe that in that culture. And therefore, the Christian uh, belief of people being made in the image of God, that was not the norm. And so the church stood out, this small band of people, this small band of people with no social political power, this group of nobodies, they remembered what their Lord taught them. And their Lord taught them uh, to love their neighbors. And they saw these children uh, that were in these dump sites as their neighbors. And so early Christians, without help or influence or power, would go uh, to these uh, dump sites and they would pick up these children and they would raise them as their own. And this began to catch on in the rest of society. And uh, over time, exposure became less and less in society. And over time, this idea that people are made in the image of God and that lives are important, that, became, that, that began to influence the culture more and more. No social, no political influence, just doing what Christians do, uh, just loving people as God had called them to do. Eventually, in 318, exposure became illegal. Can you imagine that? Uh, 374 AD, it became punishable by death. I mean, they went all the way there. Uh, but the point is this, uh, God's people transformed the world and changed the world and they didn't need uh, any kind of political or social influence to do it. Uh, this group of people uh, that the world might have seen as nobodies, this group of people that didn't have a lot of political influence changed the world and could God's people change the world again? Could God's people change the world again? The early church prayed for two things. They prayed for boldness to preach, and they prayed that the Lord would stretch out his hands for healing, signs, and wonders. They prayed for boldness to preach, and they prayed that the Lord would stretch out his hands for healing, signs, and wonders. That imagery of God stretching out his hand is God extending his help, uh, is God extending his strength and offering to help his people, particularly this, this desperate group of people, uh, the early church, they're praying for God to extend his hand. 
It's one thing for a person without strength to extend their hand, to stretch out their hand to help you. But it's another thing when the God of the universe uh, stretches out his hand to help you. So this group of people, no power in, in society, no social influence, not even liked or well accepted. God is going to use them in a mighty way. And here's what we know. When God's people tap into God's power, they always have the advantage. When God's people tap into God's power, they always have the advantage. Not, not power from the world, not economic power, right? Uh, not uh, social uh, celebrity, cool power. We don't need a bunch of Christians, uh, a bunch of famous Christians uh, to endorse the faith, right? Uh, for it to be uh, influential in the world. No, not that kind of power. But when God's people tap into God's power, they always have the advantage. And the reason that God's people have power is because the Holy Spirit has filled them. The Holy Spirit has come alongside them. One of the words for Holy Spirit in the New Testament is paraclete. It's from paraclete that we get words like paralegal or lawyer or advocate. In other words, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us as our advocate, as our helper, as our, as our paralegal, if you will. And God comes alongside his people uh, with his strength. And it is enough for them. It may look like they're powerless. It may look like they don't have anything, right? Uh, but we, we've already said it. When God's people tap into God's power, uh, they have the advantage. And sometimes, sometimes when, when, when God is all that you have, you realize that God is all that you need. When Jesus is all that you have, you realize that, that Jesus is all that you need and he shows up in your life and he's going to show up uh, in the lives of these individuals. I just want to look, uh, look at Acts chapter 5 some more and look at how the Lord worked in the lives of these people. And it might be tempting to look at what God did in the book of Acts as a family photo. You might be tempted to say, oh man, that was great. That was great back then for them when he worked like that. But he's the same God today, and I hope that you can see it through those lenses. It says, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet in Solomon's colonnade. Solomon's colonnade was just a, a walkway, a, a public venue where people would go. And the early uh, church and the apostles would meet there. And uh, the apostles would preach there and people would get healed there. So that's Solomon's colonnade. Uh, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed. People are coming to faith in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by the impure spirits. And hear this, this is a big deal. And all of them were healed. All of them. Not some of them. This is an extraordinary event. This is not common for everyone to be healed. Uh, God is answering the prayers. The people pray for what? They pray for God to give them boldness to preach 
and they pray for God to stretch out his hand and perform signs and wonders. And that's what we see God doing in the lives of his people. Uh, that, that, that word signs and wonders, that phrase signs and wonders can be a little uh, controversial at times. Like what exactly does that mean? Is this some kind of magic trick? What's going on here? What's going on in the text? I want to give us a working definition of signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are events that involve the direct and powerful action of God, transcending the ordinary laws of nature and defying common expectations of behavior. This is not the norm. This is when God does something out of the norm. This is when we're like, wow, how did that happen? It defies the, the laws of logic and, and physics. This is when God enters into human history and does something uh, phenomenal uh, most of the time to point back to him so that we can see that he is God and that he has authority not only over the spiritual world, but over the physical world as well. So those physical laws have to bow down to him. And that's when we get these kind of signs and wonders. It's, it's Jesus resurrecting from the dead. That's, that's, a, that's a sign and wonder. It's, it's Jesus resurrecting Lazarus from the dead. Uh, it's Jesus uh, touching a blind, man, blind man's eyes. And this individual who has walked in darkness all of his life is now able to see. In real life, in real time, it's the tumor just disappearing and overwhelming the doctors, and they just don't know how or why. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the child who has been unable to hear all of their lives, uh, but now they're able to hear, uh, and now they're able to hear the sweet sound of music. These are signs and wonders, and God stretched out his hand and performed these. Uh, as we continue in the text, uh, as you can see here, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them. This is how powerful God was in the life of Peter. This uneducated fisherman, right? He wasn't uh, highly regarded in the, in the culture, but God has stretched out his hand on him. And now when he, he walks by, uh, his shadow is able to heal. God is doing amazing work in his people. Now, once again, this is one of those moments where you might be like, okay, there's the family photo moment. Great. It's great to look back on, on that. Uh, God did that kind of stuff back then. He doesn't do that kind of stuff back now. I will admit this. This, this is, an extraordinary, this is an, an extraordinary event even for that time period. I mean, as you look at the whole of Scripture, you will see uh, in all of Scripture, sometimes God would bring the cure and sometimes he, he wouldn't. And, and, and we'll, so, we'll soon see that the cure isn't necessarily always the healing. Uh, we, we, as we look back at the, the Old Testament, you can look at Moses. God didn't bring the cure, right? Moses uh, had a speaking disorder. God didn't rid him of that. God used him with that, and God got glory from his life with that. So that's an example. God didn't always bring the cure. Jacob in the Old Testament as well walked with a limp. God used him with the limp. Um, Paul had a thorn in the flesh that he begged God uh, to rid him of, but he, he kept that thorn in the flesh. As we look more in the New Testament, uh, the young pastor Timothy, we hear about him in the book of First Timothy, he had an issue with his stomach. Paul told him uh, to have uh, a glass of wine for your stomach. 
So we even see back then, uh, sometimes there was supernatural intervention. Uh, sometimes there was medical intervention. And sometimes God said, have a glass of wine. Not, not, not too different from our day. So I don't want us to look back and say, oh, that was always happening back then and it never happens now. Sometimes it happens now and it didn't always happen back then. But if you, you're hearing this this morning, if you're under the sound of my voice hearing this and you have uh, a sickness yourself and you ha- or you have a family member who has some kind of illness or physical ailment, you, you still uh, might be wondering, man, but, but does God heal? And he does. He does heal. Uh, you, can, you can come to him with your illness. You can come to him with your ailment. And he is the God that does. And I want to say this. Um, there's some doctrines out there that say, well, the reason you didn't get healed is because you don't have enough faith. Man, that's guilt on top of pain already. That's salt into the wound. That's necessarily, that's not true at all. Uh, there's some godly people uh, who have not gotten the cure. And I know some, and I know you know some as well. Uh, my, my prayer for us is that we have a broader uh, interpretation of what that word healing means. Uh, there's a lady by the name of Amy Kinney. Uh, she is a member of the disabled community, and she wrote a book called My Body is Not a Prayer Request. And uh, she has an interesting perspective on this. I want to share some quotes from Amy's book. Uh, Most days, my disability isn't the worst part of my day or even what I need prayer for. To assume my disability needs to be erased in order for me to live an abundant life is disturbing, not because of what it says about me, but also because of what it reveals about people's notions of God. I bear the image of the Alpha and the Omega. My disabled body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I have the mind of Christ. There's no caveat to those promises. I don't have a junior Holy Spirit because I am disabled. To suggest that I am anything less than sanctified and redeemed is to suppress the image of God in my disabled body and to limit how God is already in work, at work through my life. Maybe we need to be free not from disability, but from the notion that it limits my ability to showcase God's radiance to the church. Interesting perspective from an individual who is a part of the disabled or differently abled community. She would say, I might not be cured, but I'm experiencing God's holistic healing in my life. In ancient Israel, when a person was sick or they had some uh, form of disease, uh, that, that, um, that sickness brought about not just physical brokenness, but social brokenness and spiritual brokenness as well. If an individual uh, was sick or disabled in some kind of way, uh, they were con- considered ceremonially unclean. So they weren't able to worship. Uh, they were uh, kind of casted out. And so the healing in that, in that sense wasn't just a cure, but the healing also entailed a holistic restoration of their lives uh, to worship and to their social relationships. All of that to say healing is a lot broader than the cure. And, and God is at work healing people 
in ways that we're often not even aware of at times because the healing is a lot broader uh, than we can see at times. But with that said, I just want to go back to this. If you uh, yourself are dealing with some kind of uh, physical ailment or someone that you love is battling some kind of physical ailment, you can come to the Father, you can come to him, uh, and he, he, can, he can meet you right there where you are and pray, as Pastor Scott said recently, pray boldly for that healing. Uh, there is room. You don't have to change your motivations. You don't have to feel ashamed uh, for coming to him boldly and asking for that healing because that's who our God is. In Acts chapter 5, we see these, these bold demonstrations of God's power. And what's happening is this. God is declaring that he has authority over the physical world and the spiritual world. God has authority over the soul and the body. And what these miracles are displaying for us is this, that God uh, is uh, in control of all things and that the kingdom has come. That's what we can draw from Acts chapter 5. The kingdom has come. He's displaying his authority and his power and his power over all things. The kingdom has come and he's ushering in his kingdom and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And that God who has all of that power, if you're one of his children, that God who has all of that power, your life is in his hands. Your life is in his hands and he has not abandoned you. I just want to say that one more time. He has not abandoned you. He has not given up on you. He is with you in the sickness. He is with you in the trials and the tribulations. Uh, our, our God has not abandoned you. He is for you. Uh, he, he is with you in it. And so in the scripture, we see this amazing demonstration of God's power. And who wouldn't be excited about that? Who wouldn't be happy about that? Uh, a songwriter that I love says it like this, ain't nobody mad but the devil. And that's what we're going to see in the text. There is opposition to this amazing work of God's kingdom coming. Uh, ain't nobody mad but the devil. The devil opposes that. The devil is not happy about this. And we see this happening uh, in, in the text, verse 17. It says, then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They're not happy about seeing these people getting healed. Uh, people who have been in these situations for so long, and now God is healing them, but they were filled with jealousy, and they arrested the apostles and put them in a public jail. They arrested the apostles. They put them in jail. Uh, the, the apostles are let out of prison by an angel because God's people always have the advantage when we tap into God's power. And so uh, the, the apostles, after being arrested, are, are set free by an angel. They go out and they preach the gospel again. <laughs> then they are arrested again. <laughs> and then they're put on trial. And now the authorities want to kill them because they say, well, if these guys won't stop. I guess we have to take their lives. So they, they threaten their lives. But the apostles say, we can't stop. We can't stop preaching the word. We, look at what we've seen and, and heard. And so they continue to uh, uh, take their stand on, on God's word and say, hey, man, we can't stop preaching. But you do what you have to do. And uh, the, the religious authorities of that day get together and they have a little powwow. And they, they try to figure out, man, what are we going to do with these guys? What are we going to do with them? And one of them speaks up and says this. He says, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. 
Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And the way the, the, way the rest of the story goes is that they, uh, they, they decide to let the men go. That they, decide, they decide to let the apostles go, but they give them a beating before they let them go. The apostles leave and they rejoice, praising God. They rejoice at the fact that they had the privilege of being able to suffer for the name of Jesus. They worshiped God and praised God for their ability to be able to suffer, to suffer for God. Uh, as we close, there's a pastor by the name of John Ortberg. He says this. He says that Christianity is like a nail. The harder you strike it, the deeper it goes. It's like a nail. The harder you strike it, the deeper it goes. There are going to be times when we feel like that nail, where we feel like life is striking us with one thing and is striking us with another. And in those moments, people do one or two things. For some people, they get hit and that, that pushes them away from the Lord. But for others, when they get hit, that drives them into a deeper fellowship with the Lord. Because here's what we know. We serve a God who was hit first. Uh, he knows all about this. When he died on the cross, they put nails in his hands and his feet, and they hung him up on the cross. And he died there. He knows all about that. And there's nothing that you and I will experience that he hasn't experienced already. And my prayer for us is that when we go through trials of different, different, different kinds, my prayer for us is that when life hits us like that, that it wouldn't drive us away from the Lord, but it would drive us into deeper fellowship and intimacy with the Lord because he's already been there. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus' name. God, we, we thank you for your word, God, and I just pray for everyone under the sound of my voice, God. If they feel like life is hitting them right now, God, I pray that they would experience you in that moment, uh, that they would experience fellowship and intimacy with you. God, and I pray for those who are praying boldly for healing today. Uh, I, I join them in that bold prayer, God, that you would heal. I pray for you to stretch out your hand, God, uh, but also entrusting uh, everything into your hands and into your will, trusting that you know best. But God, we pray boldly uh, for you to heal. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.